You'll go down in history. We're talking Rankin Bass and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Hit it. It was the 1980s, glam rock was all the rage, shoulder pads were in, and Rankin Bass still dominated the holiday TV season. I'm your host, Jerry D, with another episode of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s, toys, movies, specials, music, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, we got it covered. Now, joining me are two very special guests. The first is a Totally Rad Christmas all-star and co-host of Tis the Podcast, Anthony Caruso. My second guest, you'll know as the official biographer of the Christmas powerhouse, Rankin Bass, Rick Goldschmidt. Guys, how's it going? Happy holidays. <laughs> yeah, it's going great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, well, you know, when, when I asked Rick to do the show, because um, I've known Rick now for a couple of years, and uh, uh, we met in Dallas at, uh, at a comic book convention, and, and it was really cool. But, uh, you know, when I, when I asked him to do the show the only person that I knew that would love to be on it would be you because you love Rankin Bass almost as much as I do, which I know is probably pales in comparison to how much uh, you love him, Rick, but uh, you know, <laughs> they still hold a special place in our heart. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's become uh, part of my life. So it's, it's not so much, uh, you know, the love of it anymore. It's really become, like a day-to-day thing for me, which is weird because I never thought I would be the historian biographer for, for Rankin Bass, you know, growing up. It was just one of those things I love, but I love a lot of different things. So it's kind of <laughs> weird to be so associated with uh, these classic Christmas specials and, and films and, and everything else. Yeah, That's we- awesome, though. And you've had the privilege of actually knowing and becoming friends with a lot of these guys. So, I mean, you knew Arthur Rankin, uh, Maury Laws. and Well, Arthur um, really took me under his wing because we were so similar. Um, he was the art director at ABC TV, and I was doing art, you know, right out of college. That was my thing. I had a degree in illustration. and. I was talking to Jack Davis and Paul Coker and Mort Drucker and and some other artists wanting to do something like they did. And it just by accident came to the the discussion about what what are Arthur Rankin and Jules Bass doing now? And Jack said that they were still hiring them occasionally for, for different things. So I said, I wanna call Arthur Rankin up and he put me in touch with uh, Paul Coker, and I just called Arthur up in, in Bermuda from my work. <laughs> and I said, hey, there really should be a book on Rankin Bass. And he was just like, send me two chapters. So I 
I put two chapters together and the next thing I knew, he sent me his life story and a little micro cassette, which um, from there, I just started digging everything up and he didn't save a lot, a lot of material. So I really had to scrounge and find this stuff. But when he came to visit me, then we realized that not only were we similar in art, but we were similar in drive for getting things done. And that's where he came into play in the Rankin-Bass world. He was the, the, the taskmaster. You know, if, if there was a special that needed to be on the air by December 14th or whatever, he would make sure it happened. You know, he, he would have to go to the Japanese studio and tell them, hey, come on, we got to get this done by such and such a date <laughs> and so on and so forth. So he really was in charge of, of the Rankin-Bass crew. But what was nice was all the other people involved, Maury Laws and Don Duga and Paul Coker were the sweetest people you'd ever want to talk to. You know, so it became my mission to make sure that their work was not forgotten. And um, that's what I'm most proud of is the fact that, you know, these guys who I started talking to when they were in their late 60s, you know, they're not going to be forgotten. Because what happens is a lot of these companies that own the shows, they don't really want to give credit where credit's due. They want to like take it over as a property and say all oh, the Christmas classics, you know. So I kind of bring the focus back on the fact that it's Rankin Bass Productions, which I don't know if you watched the AMC uh, marathons the last couple of years, but they're calling it a Rankin Bass marathon mostly because of me. Nice, um, that's awesome. Because I put books out there, and I also talk to those people. So there's a there's a brand and a lot of these big companies like to forget about that brand and and just kind of sweep it under the rug like they created um, Rudolph or they created Mad Monster Party, which is, you know, it's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Mad Monster Party, but I've always been fascinated with like the Universal Studios monsters. Uh, so that one also kind of has a special place in my heart as well. But uh but that's really interesting. I mean, and then when you think about all the different specials, you know, they, there, there's a lot of um, differences, even though there's, it's almost like one big continuity. Is that because um, they, it wasn't originally planned as, you know, one big continuous saga? It was just kind of each company did its own thing or? Well, they, you know, they came upon a great writer in Romeo Muller and they put this staff together, this small crew of people, really, when you look at it, in New York to come up with the concepts for each of the specials. And I, I don't think they wanted to make as many specials as they did. I think they wanted to get into feature films more and um, just go up the ladder. But Rudolph became such a popular annual airing for, for Christmas that it gave them a, an identity that they were stuck with. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen, Comet and Cupid and 
Donner and Blitzen. But do you recall the most famous reindeer of all? But what amazes me when you look at my Enchanted World of Rankin Bass book, the 20th anniversary, over 400 pages now, when you look at it, it's amazing how many of them turned out well, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. um, to do 30-something specials and a dozen <laughs> movies and all the Saturday morning, you would think a lot of them would be like forgotten about and kind of throwaway pieces, but they're not. You know, most of them are, have something about them that there's a fan base for. Thundercats and the Jackson 5 show. I mean, there's just so many different things. Even things like the Bermuda Deaths, a small TV movie they made in Bermuda, has a large following. So it's really amazing how much of their stuff actually worked. I, I would say most of it did. Uh, I was just wondering, was Rudolph their favorite, or what was their personal well, favorite that they created? Do they have one? Well, Arthur, he he always said he, you know, every every one of them was his child. <laughs> you know, you don't <laughs> favor one over the other, and and so on and so forth. But that was obviously jewel of the collection. Peppermint, what I've been searching for all my life, I've struck it rich. That was. Um, something that just everything worked on music and and characters and the story and everything so i think that was kind of their calling card um, when my first book came out arthur bought a lot of them uh, from the <laughs> publisher because that became his resume and you know he was still trying to get things made with santa baby and the King and I, and um, he would take my book as his resume and say, here's what I did. And everyone knows Rudolph and Frosty, mm -hmm. but they don't know really the Rankin-Bass name. And mm -hmm. I think that's changing quite a bit with, with what I've done over the last 30 years. But at the time, um, people didn't know Rankin-Bass Productions was behind all this stuff. And he would have to say, hey, we did Rudolph, you know, and, and then they would know who he was and mm -hmm. what he did. So I don't know. It's They didn't really favor any one over the other, although I know Arthur was a big fan of Mad Monster Party. You know, he loved the Heat Miser and Snow Miser from The Year Without a Santa Claus. In fact, <laughs> so good. I bought resin kits of the characters before they ever produced any toys. And Ooh, wow. I, I painted a set for him and for Jules because they really wanted them. You know, those, uh, those characters had, they had a fondness for that. Um, so there were there a few that really were fond over. I know Arthur also loved King Kong Escapes because that was their first live action feature film and he was heavily involved with that. In fact, he casted the lead Linda and uh, he was proud of, of some of those things even though they weren't really well received critically it was just a fond memory for him 
Mm-hmm. In fact, when he looked over the whole book, he was he teared up. Um, you know, over especially the 15th anniversary book when we uh, added a bunch of things in, and uh, he he was um, thankful for the career that he had. Even though I think he wanted to make a big feature film like a Gone with the Wind or The Wizard of Oz, and they never quite got to that level. Well, I, I mean, in a way, they when you think about it, they did because Rudolph and and Santa Claus is coming to town and Frosty, you know, the the big three, those ones are always played every year. You know, it's a huge, I mean, it's a legacy really is what it is. And so, so it's, even though it wasn't a big budget, uh, you know, a big budget affair, it really is something that has endured like all these years, 50 years now. And it, uh, you know, you can't think of Christmas uh, without thinking of one of those three. It's an awesome legacy too. Like you had, now people who are grandparents share it with their kids who are now sharing it with their kids. And it's, it's just amazing. It brings families together around the holidays. No, I agree. Um, this year is the 50th anniversary of Santa Claus is coming to town. And that's my uh, personal favorite, by the way, I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it too. And, uh, my book on that, uh, turned out really well. I was, Real happy with it, mostly due to Wes Garlitz's uh, layout. But, um, you know, every time I turn that special on, the magic of the storytelling and the characters and the music and everything makes me proud to be involved mm-hmm. with all of this. You know, just that one special alone, if they had just done that, I think they would have been a big part of. Christmas history because that's how we learned about Santa Claus, you know, the <laughs> the myths and the ho ho hoing and going down the chimney and all of that. That was very clever writing by Romeo Muller that no one has seen that kind of in-depth analysis of Santa Claus up to that point. I can answer all your questions because I know everything about Santa. I was just telling Jerry before you hopped on, it's really like your tip. It's like your superhero origin story, right? This is how he became who he was. And that was awesome. That's why I always loved about it because I'm a big comic guy. So I was like, wow. And then to add in the Winter Warlock and the Burger Meister, Meister Burger. I mean, those two characters alone, they're like the Heat Miser and Snow Miser. It's just like everybody knows them. <laughs> Everybody loves them. They laugh when they see them. It, it's it's really something that that Romeo was able to create these characters, and then Paul Coker was to design the look of them. And and that's your Jack Kirby, Stan Lee type uh, team. That's part of the Rankin Bass galaxy. It, are those two guys, and um, they were a big part of. Uh, why it's lasted over 50 years now for most of these specials. Excelsior! So how did that work? It was uh, Romeo would write the script, and then he would send the send it to um, to Paul? Yeah, and Paul, Paul was um, really enamored with the, the scripts, where he thought this was like way better writing than what he knew as children's entertainment. And um, he he could easily come up with characters based on the storytelling, which was, you know, the magic of the team of those two guys. 
They were really special people that I think Arthur Rankin recognized that right away, and that's why he kept using them over and over and over again. <laughs> um, Romeo, for a while, um, they parted ways, uh, and he went on to do things like Strawberry Shortcake, and right. he did the Little Rascals Christmas Special, and Puff the Magic Dragon and things like that. So there was a little bit of uh, friction uh, towards the end. I think um, Arthur didn't like that he was taking so much credit and, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And uh, But then when uh, Romeo passed away, right around the time I got a hold of Arthur, and um, Arthur called me from his memorial. So he went to his memorial, and he really appreciated what Romeo did and Romeo should have gotten more credit than he did uh, over the years so I think he you know really knew a special kind of writer Mm -hmm. uh, needed for these things because you can't just put Christmas into the mix and and hope for the best you really have to have the great writing of a guy like Romeo well you're not wrong about that on on Anthony's show <laughs> um, they they do they review a lot of Christmas movies and Christmas specials. He so you definitely know that uh, you can't just throw Christmas in there. <laughs> oh no! It, like and we talk about that all the time on the show that the true classics are few and far in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Christmas. true. I can yeah. barely watch most of them. You know, I love how the Grinch stole Christmas, and I love a Charlie Brown Christmas, but that. That's pretty much it when it comes to animation. <laughs> uh, there's been so many good ones. There have been a lot of it. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at you, Pac-Man. Ah, what a bunch of humbug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, Even uh, the, um, that Miser Bros. Brothers Christmas, like, when I put it on, I, I could only watch about 30 seconds of it, and I had to get out because... I didn't like the way that the heat miser and snow miser looked, and I didn't like the way the story started out. It was just wasn't for me, you know. So, yeah. um, and and so that, that I think is I actually a, one of the better ones, which is which is saying something. Which is saying something. Oh yeah, that Rudolph it, misfit one was awful. Oh, that one's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> or what's so, I think that's another, that's another bad one. Oh, Frosty <laughs> Returns. Yeah. So I, I have a question, like the companies that own the rights to all these, and I'm not saying they should, have they ever like bandied about like doing, you know, you know how nowadays it's the live action remake is a big thing. Like, have they ever, is there ever talk about doing that? And I'm not saying they should, but you know, Hollywood. Well, I mean, over the years, I heard from many producers. Don Murphy is one. He did uh natural born killers and started the planet of the apes project that tim burton took over he wanted to do rudolph like babe with a real reindeer and and so on and so forth and then mad monster party got handed down through a bunch of companies and they wanted to do it in live action and cgi and all this other stuff and really you can't remake these things because they're the animagic is what makes it work. I think mm, absolutely mm-hmm. <laughs> the stop motion animagic in Japan was a big part of it, and 
anything you do is not going to look like that unless you do stop motion, which screen novelties in Hollywood could mimic it. I'm not so sure, though, that they could capture the, the heart of it because they did that Elf musical mm-hmm. special, which I'm sure yeah. you're familiar with. And I thought yep. the stop motion looked good. I thought the Santa Claus character that Ed Asner voiced, I thought that looked good, but I couldn't follow the story. Like it was, it wasn't interesting me. And I liked the movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I thought the movie was good, but the stop motion special, I didn't get into it. So I think it was missing the heart and the charm and the warmth that Romeo Muller brought into his writing. So I don't know how you redo something, and especially stuff that's already great. That's where mm-hmm. they always fail. Yeah, <laughs> they right. Yes, They're already sure. great. <laughs> and it's like, you're not going to be great. You know, every time you look at it something like that, I'm sorry, but you're not great. You it's know. like that weird it's like that weird analogy like when you ask somebody for the recipe and it never turns out as good as they did it and they always come back with oh it was the love i put into it or my secret sauce that's kind of what it is like well, <laughs> regular yeah. bass are the secret sauce for these they made it work they were the love behind it well we always in chicago we had a, a television personality that i grew up with called uh, ray rayner and he had a show called The Ray Rayner Show. And every week, this uh, I think it was a woman named Chauncey would make some kind of craft project, you know, like a flower or, a, uh, you know, something. And he would try to copy it. And his always turned out so bad. It was, it was comical. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's exactly what we're talking about with these, uh, these specials. And the other problem is, look at who, who's in Hollywood now. Like, not, nobody there is qualified anymore. That's the weird thing. And, and I talk about this when I do conventions and panels and things. These guys that Arthur hired were working for 20 or 30 years in the business. You know, Romeo Muller was writing for Jack Benny and writing uh, radio and television and and paul coker was you know doing art for magazines and mad magazine mad magazine and, yep like, all these guys like their their talent level was way up here and they weren't right out of college and i think what you find in today's entertainment is they're right out of college everybody's been trained the same way so everything looks the same and they put people in charge that shouldn't be in charge. <laughs> so that's very true. Yep. Yeah, it is. <laughs> different. And, and and when it hit me hardest was when we were working on the Rudolph 50th anniversary Blu-ray DVD. Yeah. And I got a call from from someone at uh, DreamWorks, and she had directed some movie with the name Guardians in it. It wasn't the Guardians of the Galaxy, but it was something like that. Was it Rise, Rise of, the of the Guardians, maybe? I think so. And I'm talking to this, her and some other woman, and, they're, and I'm telling them, I've been doing this now for 
20 years or whatever. I know what the fans want. They want to see like behind the scenes. In other words, my book, but like a documentary. Yeah, you know? for real. That's like, what I, wanted. I love your book. I love your book. And I was like, well, here's what they want. And she's like, I think they want pop-up stories and and things for kids to do. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what <laughs> who am I talking to here? <laughs> but like, it's so obvious that if you're going to put extra content on a Blu-ray, you focus on the show and give the history behind it with the people that made it, you know, mm -hmm. but they, they didn't understand that concept. And right there, I, I knew the age difference and, and the quality of, of the people. And it's just not there. You know, it's sad, but, it's really a different world that we live in. Well, you're not wrong. I mean, I remember I was so excited when I saw the 50th anniversary uh, Blu-ray. And so, of course, I bought it. And, yeah, I was crazy disappointed just with the lack. I mean, it's the 50th anniversary. Why wouldn't you have, you know, uh, the, the behind like the big story? documentary? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I want to know about Maury Laws. I mean, give me a whole thing just on Romeo Muller. Give me a whole thing on... Uh, you know, Tony Peters, but, uh, I mean, all these, you know, all these that I just, uh, I wanted to hear about and, and I just, unfortunately we so, didn't get it. Yeah. It's funny, Jerry, because I was going to pick up that 50th anniversary too. Mm -hmm. And they had a bunch of the different anniversaries a few years ago. It wasn't just Rudolph. It was whatever anniversary the Grinch was and et cetera, et cetera. Right, I was right. going to pick them all up. But when I looked on Amazon reviews, bunch of people most people were complaining about the lack of special features the lack of behind the scenes mm -hmm. and i was like well i'm not gonna waste my money i own these as they are if i was going to spend more i want the detailed history i want the documentary give me a full-length doc on how this is made mm -hmm. and its legacy yeah well the 20th or the 2018 uh, universal releases are the worst yet because that one they they got a hold of me early, like a year before they came out. And they were like, we want to do it right. Everybody hated the old stuff. We want to do it right. We're going to do documentaries. We're going to do this, that. We're going to fly you out. We're going to have you do commentary and call up everyone that's still living. So I still call. I called up everyone, and most of them declined because they're in their early 90s if they're still living. And they're like, no, I don't want to do it. So I came back and I said, well, we could still do it this way. You know, we have old interviews with them. We, I have a lot of different archival things. I even have the ending of Rudolph in color. My friend has it, the 64 version with the original credits in color. And they were like, it, politics got into it where they involve people that shouldn't be involved. Mm -hmm. And then I was out. <laughs> I was out. So I said, you know what? I am going to tell people not to buy these things. And I will put up a review on Amazon and so forth. And I don't know why you'd want to do that, you know, but they did. And they got, they got some people involved that don't even like Rankin Bass in the documentaries. I haven't watched them because I don't want to get mad and uh, 
if they're using my information out of my books, I'm really going to get mad, you know, but, um, right, right. That, that instead of doing things right and, you know, really exploring the enchanted world of rank and bass, um, they chose to go the opposite way, which <laughs> it's sad. So how did, um, how did they decide to do Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as their first special? Well, um, Arthur's neighbor was Johnny Marks, who wrote the song, uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And he would see him occasionally at parties. Um, Arthur's, originally Rankin Bass Productions was in Arthur's home. And it was a brownstone in New York. So I think he lived really close to Johnny Marks and they would attend parties together. So that was where the idea came from. It was all Arthur's idea. And then eventually they got got involved with a couple different people from NBC. And uh, one of them, Willard Saloff, came from Montgomery Wards, who was at General Electric. And he knew Rudolph would be a hit on television and um, paved the way for it to get onto TV. And Larry Romer, who was given director's credit, who didn't direct Rudolph at all, um, (laughs) he was was from uh, NBC. So they kind of got their way into the network through a couple of guys that knew Rudolph was going to be a success. But they didn't know it was going to be as big as it became. Thank God it was. And it's funny that there was no merchandise uh, produced until after my book came out. One year later, the Stop-Ins and CVS pharmacy uh, release. But before that, there was nothing other than that record album that they gave away in a GE promotion uh, in 65. So it's kind of funny how, you know, such a big popular show wasn't marketed um, until now. And now look at, uh, there's stuff everywhere, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, hardware stores and Walmart. It doesn't matter where you go and you'll see something from Rudolph. Yeah, I have a bunch of the Rudolph action figures that they sell nowadays. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I love them. I can't believe that it's only been it, they weren't selling with stuff from the beginning. That's crazy to me. Yeah, especially because it was it was shown every single year since it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just that blows my mind. I mean, you, if if you have a show that you know you believe in, it did super well. You know, in the Nielsen's, why wouldn't you promote it? I mean, I don't I don't get it. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Anybody home? Hey, think with fly. Think. Funny that um, it took my book to put the idea into the the guy who ran the company's stuff and uh, to actually merchandise dolls. And I don't know if you remember that that craze, uh, but back then it was before eBay, mm-hmm. and um, there was a newspaper that that collectors would get the toy shop newspaper. And CVS Pharmacies was only on the East Coast. And there was one by me in Munster, Indiana, uh, which wasn't too far from where I, I live. But what was happening was people were buying them up and then shipping them 
you know, West. And, <laughs> and people could only order them through that newspaper or different magazines and things. It wasn't, eBay wasn't born yet. So it was kind of interesting how it became so popular um, that one year in 1998. And then the following year, they produced all kinds of stuff. And they were stuck with a lot of it because they went way overboard. They had trees <laughs> and plates, and, um, you name it. They had it, you know, slippers and all kinds of stuff. So we talked about uh, Paul Coker, and I know he designed a lot of the Rankin Bass stuff, but he actually he didn't design the Rudolph itself, did did he? It wasn't. Um, it was no, Anthony that was Peters? Peters and. Um, Tony was a really great guy. He designed everything for Rankin Bass from the mid fifties to 64. And um, he left to start his own company, Instant Miracles, because he, he didn't feel um, appreciated. In mm -hmm. fact, with Rudolph, he was brought back as a freelancer. But he was this young kid that worked at Arthur's home, basically, when it was Rankin Bass Productions. And a lot of what he did was commercials. It was, uh, they did a lot of television commercials, both animated and just regular live commercials. And he would design the type and, and do different things. And then when they did uh, Tales of the Wizard, Wizard of Oz and uh, the New Adventures of Pinocchio, he, not only design um, the lettering and the characters, but he also oversaw the production at Crawley Studios in Canada for Arthur and, and Jules. So he got involved more, but I guess he didn't feel like he was uh, a big player in the, in the team, and he decided to just branch out on his own. But we had some great conversations, and he loved New York. And uh, just a great guy, all around great guy. And for me, the early designs are better than the later because they were more simplistic. And I, I felt like his style was more like UPA. And that was good for the puppets mm -hmm. in, in Rudolph because they're so simple. And in fact, if you look at the elves, I think... The reason that they have that bulbous nose is originally he designed that for a light bulb. And in, in earlier commercials, because he sent me a picture mm -hmm. of my book with the carolers, they all have that same nose, you know? So I think that's why he designed them that way, because earlier on he was doing the commercial work. So I just love that simple, simple style. You know, it's very mm -hmm. styled and, and very easy to animate, too. Mm -hmm. And it's effective, too. I mean, you want to talk about legacy. I mean, if you look at Elf, the North Pole is Rudolph's North Pole, just about, from the Elf designs to the background and everything. That's true, yeah. Um, um, Buddy dresses like the Elf Foreman, uh, you know, in the green and, and all that. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I was I was involved in a show for 2020 a couple of years ago on ABC, and um, they interviewed him about the movie, and he he said he got the designs from Rudolph, so he came <laughs> right out and 
said, you know, that was his inspiration. Um, so you could, you could tell it, um, although the stop motion that they used didn't quite match up to the, uh, to the Rankin-Bask quality, um, it looks more like the stuff that you see in commercials where they're parroting Rankin-Bass. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I have a story question, Jerry, if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. So one of the things I find really impressive about Rankin-Bass, whether it's Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman or Santa Claus's Coming to Town, is they took these well-known songs and expanded the world and they introduced all these characters that are just as iconic to people nowadays as the song themselves are, whether that's the Misfit Toys or Burgermeister Meisterburger or Professor Hinckley in Frosty. And I guess, do you have any insight on, as to how they came up with all these like supporting characters? How, like what was their process for developing these children's songs into full-fledged specials and developing the world with all these new iconic characters? Well, um, a lot of it has a lot of the credit has to go to Romeo Muller because he kind of kind of had carte blanche on developing his own story from the song, you know. And you're right, the the song was a way of going to a network and saying we're going to do Frosty the Snowman or we're going to do the Little Drummer Boy, but when Arthur went to NBC and said, we're going to do the little drummer boy. They said, we want to have the script by Monday. And this was on Friday. So he called up Romeo Muller and Romeo Muller wrote this thing over the phone and gave it to a, a secretary to take down. You know, um, it, it was like that. Uh, he really had to be a creative guy to expand these stories in such a way that what we know the Little Drummer Boy from, what we know Santa Claus from, what we know Rudolph and Frosty from, are the Rankin-Bass specials. Not mm -hmm. the song, not the comic books that came out in the 50s, not the golden books that were out in the 50s and 60s, or even the commercials with Santa Claus selling cigarettes and, and Coca-Cola. <laughs> you know, it's all Rankin-Bass that we know these characters. And it, it really was Romeo Muller was, was the guy. Now, I think what would happen is he would bring a script in and give it to Arthur. And Arthur would go through it and involve some other people, maybe Jules at times, maybe, you know, the network guys. And they would say, ah, get rid of this seal. Because I think there was a talking seal in, in the original draft in my Rudolph book. Or get rid of this character or bring in this character. Yeah, so I think there was some tweaking towards the end. But the genesis of the story came from Romeo. And then they just edited it, it from there. Uh, which that's is pretty amazing for one guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. And to, and to the point you were making earlier too, like these are the versions we think of. Like now mm -hmm. when I hear these songs on the radio around the holidays, it's the Rankin Bass characters I'm picturing in my head when, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is playing on the radio, for example. Mm -hmm. Or when you hear Holly Jolly Christmas, you know. And <laughs> yeah.
Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if yeah, immediately think of Burl Ives as Sam the Snowman and uh, just the elves dancing. And I mean, it's everything about it is just you do you focus on those images and they stay with you, which is a magical thing, I think, uh, especially for a Christmas special. Well, the other thing is, and I get asked this all the time in, in when I do my panels and things. The trick of it all is not to come up with a story and the characters. The trick is to put the heart and the warmth into them that makes you want to watch these things 150 times. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's this, there's this man, and they called their animation Animagic, and it did have a magic to it. Uh, <laughs> to write in such a way that you love these characters that you want to see them succeed, that you, you feel warm and cozy at Christmas time mm -hmm. watching them, that it puts you in a better mood than you were in, you know, like mm -hmm. it's just, it's such a happy thing. And you can't even describe that part of it. You can't copy it. And I think that's where, when you see these newer attempts at Christmas specials, they're completely missing that part of it, you know? The heart and warmth is, you only get that in certain things, you know? You get it in, in movies like It's a Wonderful Life and White Christmas and, you know, Going My Way and, and Bells of St. Mary's. That, that stuff all had heart and, and warmth to it. And Rankin Bass is kind of the same thing. But everything else is kind of missing that, mm -hmm. and I couldn't, I couldn't copy it. You know, it's just something that happened uh, through <laughs> Romeo's writing and and uh, the animation that was uh, that furthered that that heart and warmth. I mean, the perfect example is that, what was it, the 1998 or 2000 theatrical Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that came out, the traditionally animated one? Like, it just lacked that warmth. Like, they decided to just turn it into kind of like a action fantasy movie, whereas they didn't get to the core of who Rudolph was, like Rinkin Bass was, like the, like the underdog misfit status of Rudolph that everyone mm -hmm. can relate to. And it just left the movie feeling so hollow. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. Last year they put out, here comes Peter Cottontail on Blu-ray. And <laughs> it was cut. It was the uh, syndicated version missing all kinds of scenes and parts and everything. Mm -hmm. So I watched a little bit of that uh, Peter Cottontail CGI thing that they did 10 or 15 years ago. Roger Moore was in it. It was awful. You know, like it it had none of the rank and best charm and quality and warmth and nothing. So, I mean, they keep making the same mistakes over and over, trying to remake or do sequels or whatever, but you're not going to be able to do it with the Rankin-Bass shows, you know? Right. I think what's, what's really amazing is that, I mean, nowadays we can do anything with computers, but, I mean, they had to be really imaginative to do it all practically, you know? So to make uh, water look like actual water, uh, you know, like when you're thinking about Shiny New Year and Big Ben coming up, things like that, 
they had to be really creative. And, and uh, I think be- people nowadays are just spoiled because you want water or you just, you know, type in the code and, and not to diminish anything that they do, because uh, I, I do have a friend that, that does that. And I know it's difficult, but at the same time, it's, it's not quite, I mean, you don't have to be quite as inventive. And I think that uh, it's that, that creativity, you know, it sparks like some sort of energy that uh, sometimes is missing. And that's why some of those things seem very flat, you know, when you mm-hmm. compare it with like uh, what, what Mochinaga and those guys did to, to get those effects. I mean, it's, it, it is quite brilliant when you think about it. Yeah, they, they, they use cellophane uh, for the water waves. Ed Mochinaga was hired because Arthur knew he was the father of stop motion animation in, in Japan. And eventually he retired towards the end of the 60s and Hiroshi Tabata, who was working directly under him, took over and he always felt inferior to Tad. Um, everyone felt Tad was the master and Rudolph was as good as it gets. And and sometimes people will say, uh, Rudolph looks kind of crude and, and herky and jerky and all this. And I'm thinking that's what makes it, that's what I like about it. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to CGI perfect stuff. Now with Pixar, which I could talk about forever, I was friends with the, the small group of people that were known as Pixar when they started because Andrew Stanton did a quote for the back of my book and John Lasseter told them to call me. So every year they sent me a book with all the artists drew in it and each movie got better and better and better. And the reason that they did such great work was that writing, you know, they knew that in order for things to be, to sustain and have life to them, they had to be well, well written. And they would go through writing story meetings and in front of the animators and then redo it and all of that. And I know this because Joe Ramp uh, was a friend of mine, helped me a little bit with the Rudolph book. And uh, Stanton did the afterword in the book and he got the Academy Award for Finding Nemo, and I think Wally, and they got better and better and better and better. And then Disney decided to buy the company. And it was a complete creative sellout, <laughs> complete. And the next movie they put out, Cars 2, I took my son to it and I couldn't tell you one thing about the movie that I could remember. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a shame because they were on target to be the, you know, well, they were the Rankin Bass of this world, this modern world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Up to the movie up. That's what I always say. And I, you know, some people say they like, um, what was the one with the Mexican? Um, oh, Coco. Coco. Some people say they like Coco and they like this and that. I haven't seen much of any of that. But I think Cars 2, what the idea was, was to sell a bunch of cars <laughs> and forget about the movie. Just oh, sell yeah. cars. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier about Rankin Bass. They only hired good quality people that had years and years of experience 
and that's changed. You know, it's more about the money today. It's more about box office and the weekend receipts and, and this and that. And mm -hmm. I don't think Arthur and Jules and anybody in their staff were trying to become millionaires. Mm -hmm. I think they were trying to make good quality stuff that would last. And it did. Sure did. Yeah. I mean, like I said, when people think of Christmas, they think of Rudolph for sure. Right. And of course, and Santa Claus could, is coming and Frosty and all that. But uh, I mean, that's it's it's such it's so ingrained now in our culture that, you know, I mean, you can't at least here in America, maybe not so much in, in some other places, but for sure in America, it's like that's what you think of. And it at least for me, it doesn't feel like Christmas if I miss it that year. Luckily, I own them, so I never do. But in the past, whenever I, I missed it, it just something was missing you know it just it, it wasn't quite christmas time yet i um and you could walk into the home of 99 percent of americans and they will have some kind of ranking bass ornament or like statue or something around christmas time time <laughs> on their tree without fail like whether it's rudolph or frosty or chris kringle whoever mm -hmm. yeah I, I work at a christmas store now and uh and same thing, we sell, we have a couple of Rudolph things like that. But uh, I, I mean, it's in a different department, so I haven't really looked at it too much. But, you know, it's one of those where, um, I mean, you can find Rudolph stuff just all over because it is so iconic. And I think that's cool. I really do. Yeah. I, you know, as, as much as I've been involved, now I have six books out. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm pretty tired of seeing Rudolph material year after year after year. <laughs> after year. And what I think is there's some unexplored things like let's talk about Nestor, the long-eared donkey, which people love that, you know, it's like Rankin Bass's version of Bambi, you know? Yeah, yes, <laughs> it really so, is. So people are always saying, hey, I want to get a Nestor figure or a Nestor this. When are they ever going to do that? And then, you know, they did the little drummer boy for a few years. And now that stuff cost a fortune because nobody ever merchandised it since. So I think they need to do more little drummer boy. And, um, you know, they're always doing the heat miser and snow miser at Hallmark. Mm -hmm. I love the Miser Brothers. Those are my dad's favorites. So my dad, who's not even like huge on Christmas, like he loves the Miser Brothers. He loves that song so much. Like he will, he'll turn it on just to hear the song whenever well, it's that, on TV. And that's a classic Maury Laws right there. I mean, it's just, it's a, uh, you, you know, yeah, Johnny Marks did a lot of the songs uh, for Rudolph, but I mean, you kind of miss when you focus on that, you miss Maury Laws and a lot of the, the great stuff that he did later on. And I mean, that's definitely a shame because he, I really enjoy what he did. It, it, that music, not only the score, but the songs also really helped um, a lot of those later specials. And you kind of miss out on some of that when you focus just on the, the Johnny Marks and the popular ones. Well, early on, Jules Bass wrote the songs by himself. And then he got involved with uh, Burrell, Thomas, and Pollock, who wrote the music for um, Willie McBean and his Magic Machine and Return to Oz. And he 
Jules brought Maury in as the musical conductor on Rudolph. And when you hear that overture at the beginning of Rudolph, that gives me chills. Mm-hmm. That, I think mm-hmm. that's the best, the best thing he ever orchestrated is how that, you know, he puts all the songs together in, in the arrangement he does. And it's always so bouncy and fun and happy. You know, he always got happiness into the music. But when Jules and Maury came together as songwriters, that was the key to Rankin Bass because there's no better soundtrack than the one in Santa Claus is Coming to Town and the one they did right after it, Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Oh, I like that the one, yeah. Songs in those are better than songs in Broadway musicals, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which we dabbled in too. So that songwriting team was magic. And it, it lasted for a long time too, uh, well into the 80s. And uh, that's say, that says a lot because, you know, it came together kind of organically mm-hmm. uh, without any idea. I, oh, yeah, we're going to do 30 specials and we're going to make, <laughs> we're going to corner the market on Christmas. And <laughs> Which all they that. Did. It wasn't like that. It was it was just they had some good people working on these things and they kept them together for a long time. Arthur was a smart guy too. When he saw something, he, I think he could tell if it was going to work or if it wasn't going to work. He had a, a good ear and a good eye for that for, for most of it. So it needed to have good leadership too. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a question for you. Okay, go for it. <laughs> uh, just out of curiosity, which one is your favorite ranking bass and i know it's probably hard for you to pick since you're so like ingrained with them but like if you had to pick one which is your favorite one they've done well i think it's in the order of my books that have come out i had to do a rudolph book right away because you know that to me that's the the crown jewel of the ranking bass catalog but i also love mad monster party a lot too which you know is not a christmas thing but like Jerry said, I love the Universal Monsters. And I don't think there's any animated monster film better than that because they have them all in there, you know, including Boris Karloff. So <laughs> most of the time, if, if, if you were going to have a Boris Karloff in an animated show, you would get somebody who, to impersonate his voice. That was done constantly for years in every show on every, every cartoon series had a Boris Karloff character and they had somebody impersonate him, but to bring him in and make a character that looked like him and let him do his own voice that doesn't get any better than that. But, um, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. Like you said, that's your favorite. That's right up there with my favorite too. And, and then Frosty, you know, it was one of my earliest childhood memories, too. I probably saw the first airing of it in 69. And the the character of Frosty, he was nobody until that. You know, mm-hmm. Jackie Brennan brought that character to life. 
and Paul Coker's art style brought that character to life. And that's who you think of when you think of Frosty are those characters. And and that's the one great achievement of Rankin Bass productions is the personality mm-hmm. of the characters. They they could bring personality to every character. They would hire just the right guy or girl to do the voices and they would design them in such a way that you knew it was a Rankin Bass show and uh, that would be the character that you would remember forever. You wouldn't mind my red nose? Not if you don't mind me being a dentist. It's a deal. Frosty is like, you just want to give the guy a hug. He's so childish and innocent and uh, (laughs) I love his design just from the way they voice him to the look of him. Like, He's awesome. He's amazing. Happy birthday! Mr. Inkle is one of the squirreliest, beatable uh, <laughs> uh, characters that you can get, but they found the perfect actor to do on Billy DeWolf with the busy, 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 and, and you know, how nasty he is towards Frosty. Mm-hmm. It was um, so you could talk about every special has that perfect villain in it, and co- they're comical and and they're nasty, but you know they're memorable too. So it's a weird combination of things, but um, that's what sometimes I like the villains more than the, <laughs> the, the, the like in Rudolph. I love the Bumble. No, I love the bumble. (laughs) My my brother, when we were real young, he was afraid of the bumble because the way they portrayed him, you know, at the beginning, just peeking over the the mountain and having the big footprint and you see the shadow and Burl Ives is shivering with the umbrella. They portrayed him in such a way that he was this scary you know, kind of like the witch in the Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end, he's he's a tree de- decorator with no teeth. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, to your point about how great the villains are, I love. Um, if you look at Santa Claus is going to town, I love the Burgermeister's yeah. song. More than Tanta Kringle's song, how it's the inverse of it about destroying all these toys. <laughs> I love it. It's so fun. I hum that one all the time. Well, um, <laughs> that was the only character that didn't get reformed. Um, one yeah. of the early interviews that Arthur and I did right after my book came out, they asked him, hey, what's what's with the Burgermeister? And Arthur was like, well, we put a tincture of poison in the mix. And, and you know, and, and his picture fell off the wall. But... Um, the, what I love about the Burgermeister is he represents all politicians where they yes. say one thing and they do another. And, yeah. and he broke his own law with the yo-yo. And that was perfect, right? Because that represents most of the politicians that we see today. And I, in fact, I shared a 
a thing on Facebook and, and social media with the Burgermeister because he's perfect, perfect for that. And Paul Fries, even mm. though he did millions of characters, he's mostly known for that character and a few others, you know, because it's such a great job. Paul Fries is one of the, like, as soon as I hear his voice, even if it's not Rankin Bass, but as soon as I hear his voice, the first thing I think of, yes, is, is Burgermeister. But then also, uh, you know, he played Santa a couple of times. And so sometimes, you know, right after right. Burgermeister, then I, I immediately jumped to Santa. And uh, I mean, he just did so many voices for Rankin Bass. That it, it, to me, you can't talk Rankin Bass without talking Paul Freeze. And so I'm glad you brought him up because that was... Um, intro to Santa Claus is coming to town too. He, he, he had a narration voice that he would use. So he narrates the beginning of Santa Claus is coming to town. And um, I think here comes Peter Cottontail as well, when they're showing all that footage from from Christmases around the world and, and stuff. And that, that's kind of a cool thing too. Mm -hmm. But it's funny, he also did Grinsley. The second banana. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was a I do have to ask you about the Burgermeister. And I've told this to Jerry. I've asked Jerry this multiple times, and he was unsure. So I want to ask you because you mentioned he's like the perfect embodiment of every politician that's out there. <laughs> Did they base his design at all on Nixon? Because he has a very Nixon y face. Did they like take any inspiration from that? I think they kind of based him a little bit off of Paul Fries because he was kind of that heavy set guy that looked very similar to to Burgermeister. And sometimes Paul Coker would get the actors who are going to do the voices, he would get their photographs. So I think he kind of used that to design the character more, more so than Nixon. Although, who knows? Paul Coker could have done it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, before, we, oh, uh, before we before uh, we start wrapping it up, I did want to um, talk about the ending, the original ending to um, Rudolph. And so in the original special, when it first aired, it had this beautiful uh, ending credit sequence. But I know there was a lot of um, kids kind of complaining because Santa doesn't actually go back to pick up the misfit toys. Right. The original ending I like better because the lettering on the packages matches the Tony Peters lettering at the beginning of the special. And it's it's a better idea to see the credits on the packages. But the reason that they re-shot it and added in scenes and took scenes out, it wasn't so much you know, some people had said, and I, I might have mentioned this in my book, but over the years I found out it wasn't so much a write-in campaign. Uh, I think Jules Bass had told me that he heard that or he, he seems to remember that. But I think it was more that Willard Saloff, the General Electric person that was in charge of the production, um, wanted the changes himself. He wanted a new song, so they changed the song to Fame and Fortune. And then the credits were changed to show the Misfit Toys and give them a little bit more airtime. But 
I don't think it was a big complaining kind of thing because it was, you know, from one showing, I don't think I get that kind of a response so much from kids. And it was, it was weird. It aired at 4.30, I think 4.30 central time, or it could have been 5.30. So early in the, in the evening, I kind of think they missed their larger audience, even though it had a big ratings when, um, it was aired so early in the evening. I don't know who was watching it at that time. Yeah, I like the original credits better than the, the ones that they show now, but they're both good. You know, I don't know if I've ever seen the original credits. Actually, it's good. It's really oh. neat. Yeah, the the lettering and and everything is it's just it's really cool. And uh, it it like Rick said, it fits perfectly. Uh, with the beginning, which is nice. It's it's nice bookend that you kind of miss out on. Um, although I do like the idea of, you know, Santa actually picking up the misfit toys. <laughs> well, you know, um, I think, I think the umbrella idea was kind of, I don't know if the Flintstones aired their Christmas uh, episode first, because if you watch that uh, episode, Fred's dropping the toys off in parachutes out of the sleigh. Um, mm. So I don't know which one came first, but it's a similar concept with the umbrellas. And then a lot of people say, well, why didn't they throw the, the bird who can only swim off without an umbrella? Was that a dark joke or something? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It might have been through the animators. You know, the animators might have said, hey, this will be kind of funny if we <laughs> if we do it with him getting thrown off, even though he doesn't have an umbrella. But <laughs> it could be like uh, The Wizard of Oz, too, because Romeo wrote Return to Oz, and, you know, all the characters had those things that they were looking for in the first place. So maybe he really could fly. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I, I have to ask, uh, what would you say is your hap hap happiest uh, memory of this, uh, of Rankin Bass in general and Rudolph in, uh, specifically? I don't know. They all kind of blend together now. <laughs> you know, doing, this, doing this so long. Um, I'll tell you, like, uh, doing what I do, um, Christmas time is always magical uh, for me. And I make it such, too, because um, I really make a big deal out of the holidays, Halloween included. And um, nothing is better than, you know, conversing with the fans through social media and email and and appearances and things like that because it keeps me going because you know it it, it means something to everyone you know uh, or at least a lot of people and um, that's what kind of keeps me going that's that's what drives me and um and then just the fact like you said to be friends with all of these people is another level um, because when I see the credits at the end of these shows, I think, oh yeah, there's Maury and there's Don Duga and there's Paul Coker. And then I think back to like when 
you know, you got to meet Paul Coker in Dallas. That was that. cool. Yeah. <laughs> we had a wonderful time there. And NPR did a, an interview with us. And um, just being with Paul and, and getting along with them so well. And it's just, it's kind of like, um, and I say this a lot, it, it's like a calling for me. I didn't want, I, I never set out to do books and to be talking about Rankin Bass <laughs> as much as I do. Um, but I'm glad that I did it. And I, I, it's just like, it's weird. It's, it's like a calling and, and it, it's, it's great to be able to, to shine the light on the, the people that put these things together. And, you know, this year's the 50th anniversary of, of Santa Claus is coming to town 50 years, you know, 56 years for Rudolph. It's like, wow, these, these things are never going to end. I don't think even if they get rid of the network television and, you know, there's always going to be streaming and DVDs and Blu-rays and all this stuff. So it just lives on. (laughs) It's outlived the creators now, most of them. And um, I just want to make sure that that um, it's handled right, you know, mm-hmm. as much as you can. Because uh, I don't like seeing people making money off the things they didn't create. And I see that a lot, especially with Rudolph and, and, and some of these others. But just the whole thing for me is the magic of the season. And I love them all. You know, the more forgotten about uh, Jack Frost and Rudolph Shiny New Year is a great one for for New Year's. And they didn't show it on ABC last year, but they did for the several years before that. I don't know. I hope I hope they keep it seems like they're showing them more now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Freeform, Freeform got Rudolph, Frosty and Santa Claus is coming to town last year. So they're not only showing them on CBS and ABC, but they're showing them on Freeform now too. And then AMC is having that marathon every year, and I think that's getting bigger and bigger for them. So who knows? Yeah, there's a ton of forgotten specials, uh, which uh, again is a shame. I remember them throughout my childhood always being there. Um, what's the, oh. uh, the the night before Christmas? You know, what's the night before Christmas? That one's I love that one. Uh, I, I mean, I love that one. The, the the songs in that one are some of my favorite uh, out of the entire Rankin Bass catalog. Um, the Little Drummer Boy and uh, Book One and Book Two are just really good. Um, Cricket on the Hearth, Nestor. Uh, yeah, Cricket on the Hearth. That one you don't really see much anymore. Um, I really love Christmas in July. Rudolph and Frosty. July is a great one. And, so, what was the thought process behind the scenes setting that? their first big Christmas crossover in July instead of at Christmas. Was there like a reasoning behind that? What was the thought behind that? Well, that was, that was one of the sort of failures because they thought it was going to be combining Frosty and Rudolph and, and doing it as a feature film that it was going to be a huge hit, but they released it in the summer and it bombed, you know, um, it wasn't the hit that they wanted it to be. So then they ended up 
editing it to make it a 90 minute television special. So it did better on TV than it did in the theater. I know in 79, I wasn't even aware of the movie being released. And that was like the prime time for me growing up that I would have went to the movies to see something like that. But I probably didn't even know it was out because it got such little attention. But it failed at the show. Arthur always said because it came out in the summer, you know, had they released it in at Christmas time, it probably would have done better. I definitely think it would have, honestly. Uh, yeah, me I mean, too. I I like it. I really enjoy it. I, I it's fun. Winterbolt is like the villain of villains, you know, <laughs> Rankin Bass universe to me. Um, I mean, me and Jerry had fun a few weeks ago. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, kind of, kind of talking about like. You know how to uh, how Rankin Bass had their own little Marvel universe before the Marvel universe is the thing, and Winter Vault was a big right. Thanos for them all to beat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, um, and you mentioned "Twas the Night Before Christmas." That's another one that, because of the music and and the characters, the writing and the Coker look and everything, it's just magic to watch that. Mm -hmm. I'm really surprised that CBS took that off. I don't know what happened if the ratings dropped one year and they said, okay, pull it. Or or they just pulled it and then forgot about it. Because that blows away Frosty Returns. And that's what mm -hmm. they put on in its place. Because yeah, they used I to do Frosty and Twas the Night Before Christmas together. So it's like, oh my God, this, that, that, that's like a four star versus a half a star. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Frosty Returns is bad. It's, it's very it's bad. Really yeah. Bad. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is funny because you would think on paper, John Goodman would probably make a really good Frosty. Yeah. It's just the look of it right off the bat is like, what is this? Yeah, it's it's Look, very uh, very very it. very low budget Rankin Bass. <laughs> it's like rip off of a rip off, but but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, based on everything you've said, I mean, I I would like to see uh, also more merchandise for some of the more obscure ones. I would buy a lot of that stuff up in a second. I would like to see more airplay for some of these uh, more obscure ones as well. You know, the life and adventures of Santa Claus is is really cool. Next week, take an all-new magical journey from boyhood to manhood to immortality. At last, the real story, the life and adventures of Santa Claus. Arthur didn't like it. Really? Because I had him sign something for, for a friend of mine when he came, and he kind of slammed it down and said he didn't like it. But it, it was a different, a completely different take on their style and their characters and I think it has a, like a, a, a strong following and mm -hmm. people do remember it and, and, you know, there's good and bad things about it, but it turned out pretty well. You know, it was, I think it was true to the book. It's a completely different style to it. Mm -hmm. And they were moving that way with the Hobbit and return of the King and the flight of dragons and getting into more, uh, mis magical kind of projects at that point yeah more of the the fantasy i mean because i love thundercats and silverhawks those were really mm -hmm. fun uh, the hobbit uh before i even read the book i knew the you know the rankin bass version of it 
And so reading the book was a breeze because I had already kind of experienced it. And so when I remember reading the book in for the first time in, um, I think, sixth grade, uh, maybe seventh, but I remember I would picture, you know, the, the Rankin-Bass versions of it as I was reading it. And to this day, every time I read it, I still think of that Bilbo and I still think of that Gollum, even though, you know, Lord of the Rings came out and we have all those, you know, the live action versions and all that. But, but to me, like, that's, that's the Hobbit, you know, and those are my mm-hmm. characters. So I, I know what that's you mean. And I think it would be really cool. I think I even have a, uh, a record version of it somewhere with yeah. one of those books. I yeah, <laughs> it's really cool. I got to go to Sundance because of the Rankin-Bass um, Hobbit and Return of the King because there was a documentary made called Ringers that mostly focused on the films, but mm-hmm. they worked in a little bit about the history of it and, and, and the Rankin-Bass. So I helped them with the Rankin-Bass part and I got to go to Sundance and nice. and what that whole phenomenon was about. So that was kind of fun. Uh, there's been a lot of things that have happened like that over the years. This year, though, uh, I should mention that my um, my business partner passed away. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, in um, in April, right be- right when this pandemic was picking up, he had a heart attack and passed away in a in a ambulance and he was mm. such a big part of what i do he was like my support team Wes garland's and uh even co-author on the frosty and the santa claus is coming to town book and the arthur rankin scrapbook and um he really put together the books in such a way that it, it's like a visual um, extravaganza you know and, and what's ironic is um, we just got the Frosty book done. I picked it up in early January because the printer got behind and they didn't make Christmas. And I really pushed, even though, you know, I didn't cause Wes's heart attack, but I pushed to get the books done and I didn't know why I was doing it, you know? so. I'm glad we got the six books in his lifetime. And that's kind of what he will be remembered for, you know, is the work on these books. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's how I'll think of Wes, too, when I think of Rankin-Bass and and the Christmas season, because he was such a big part of it uh, for my, you know, the last 12 years of my life. Um, It'll be weird going through the holiday season without him this year, but he's a big part of, uh, of, of what I've done up to this point, and and uh, he loved it just as much as anyone, and got nice. to work a little bit with Arthur Rankin, and we did the uh, the shag uh, stores together, and that was a big thing, and so may he rest in peace. Um, but on a brighter note, normally at this point in the show, I, I do a, a segment that I like to call "Gag Me with the Spoon," where I, I do our, we do our best impressions of our least favorite parts. But in the spirit of 
you know, just the, the warm fuzzies that Rankin Bass gives you. I, I thought it'd be fun if we just do some of our favorite quotes from some of the specials. Uh, do you have like a favorite quote from Rudolph or anything that, uh, or any of the specials that just really talks to you or is it is just one of your favorites? Well, probably when, uh, when the Alps are all saying Hermie doesn't want to make toys because a lot of people think it's, he's saying Herbie and it does sound like that in that scene. Sounds like the voice actors mispronounced it a little bit in, in that part where, where there's, it does sound like he's saying Herbie. But I like how they have the elves all saying, Hermie doesn't like to make toys. Hermie doesn't like to make toys. <laughs> <laughs> that's like real clever, um, a real clever performance. And they do that a lot in, in, in all of their shows, you know. Um, like when... Uh, when Chris is on the doorstep, when the elves get him, and Santa Claus is coming to town, mm-hmm. and they're saying a baby, whatever, Dingle and Kringle and all the names. <laughs> That's a good funny part too. What about you, Anthony? Do you have a favorite quote here or there from Rudolph? <laughs> from whichever. I think it's really. Um... I don't want to use the word because it's on the quote. I think it's really cute when Clarice kisses him on the cheek and says, I think you're cute. And Rudolph is like, I'm cute. I'm cute. She <laughs> thinks I'm cute. And he starts plan- prancing around and he flies her the first time farther than any of the other reindeer. That is a good like one. That. that is a very good one. Uh, yeah. It's, and that, you know, of course you can relate to that, you know? It's oh, yeah. Totally. One of those, when the girl kind of likes you, it's just like, yeah. <laughs> you're over the moon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one of the ones that I, uh, well, for me, I actually, um, I actually like Yukon Cornelius, because one of the things uh, before I realized that he was looking for a peppermint mine, I thought he was looking for silver and gold, you know, from the edits. And uh, when I eventually discovered that it was actually about peppermint, and he says, um, peppermint, what I've been searching for all my life, I've struck it rich. I've got me a peppermint mine. Woohoo! <laughs> I love that weird little tongue thing he does when he licks it. Yeah, because he's always <laughs> licking the, yeah. the pickaxe. And I yeah. remember not understanding it. And <laughs> that, scene, that scene hasn't been on the network since date, the first airing. Wow. Um, oh, wow. Yes. When they restored it somewhat years ago they never put that in which is only like 30 seconds long i don't know why they didn't do it but it's still i don't know if on abc family if they show it on there or um reform because i don't have that channel so i don't know what edit they're showing on there but on cbs they still haven't shown that peppermint <laughs> but the the um scene um I did a lot of radio interviews with Billy Mae Richards before she passed. And she would always do the on cue during the interview. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. Um, she could do the voice pretty well still in, in at the end of her life. And uh, uh, originally, Billy Mae was a little bitter about the fact that she only made like six thousand dollars or whatever from her work and didn't make anything after that so when i first tried to get a hold of her um, i think it was through her agent and her agent was like 
she doesn't want to talk about Rudolph. And eventually I got through to her. I think it was because we were on a radio show together. They brought us together in, in Canada. And after that, you know, I was calling her up and talking for a long time and I sent her toys and different things and she just changed. She she knew that's what she was going to be remembered for and she she just loved it. You know, it, it was, she couldn't be happier that that was what she, her legacy is. So it wasn't, you know, the fact that she she made so little off of it. It was just that's what she's going to be remembered for. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. glad that I was able to, to help her a little bit as far as um, do those interviews and things. That's so cool. I mean, because yeah. you, yeah, I mean, I know you were also friends with, um, and sorry, I know we're running long here, so I'll try to wrap it up, but I know you're friends with um, Bradley. Oh. And, uh, you know, it's just, just knowing these guys, uh, I mean, that's, to me, it's amazing just to be able to call them up and say, hey, how you doing? Let's, you know, the, let's do this show here or something. I mean, that's, it's, that's just, I mean, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I mean, I think, I, I think me and you both agree, Jerry, that's like dream job, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See, these people had such a quality to them too. Like, you know, they worked on a lot of different things and they, they were talented and, and really good at what they did. And, and I appreciated that more than some people did. In fact, with Maury Laws, he was kind of surprised and shocked and protective of different things. Like when I first started talking to him, I was like, I want to I wanna get a copy of Mad Monster Party soundtrack. And he'd be like, "What do you want that for?" <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not gonna send that to you. And I'm like, no, I, I really love it. I'm, an, I'm a musician, and this and that, and, and eventually he sent it to me. I was the first person to get it because it wasn't released when the movie came out. RCA shelved it, so he had an acetate copy of it, and that was it. Oh, um, so he was like, what? Do you, what do you want this stuff for? You know, like he was very protective. And, and then he realized that I'm just trying to expose it to the the fans and, and, and give you credit and, and all of that. So then we became really good friends and would meet for dinner downtown in Chicago when he would visit his son and, and things. So it, it's, it's amazing that, that I was able to develop friendships with, with all these great people because like I said, they were in their late sixties when when I started doing this. So you know, and now a lot of them are gone, and uh, it's, it's shocking to me that I can't call up Maury Laws or Arthur Reichen or whatever. But at least I can write about them mm-hmm. and talk about them and, and podcast and <laughs> and on the radio at Christmas time and 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 all this other good stuff. So. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, I, I usually have a, a I usually kind of wrap it up by finding what the other half of the battle is, you know, because G.I. Joe would always say they would end with uh, knowing is half the battle. But I think today, I think uh, I'm just going to go straight into Anthony and, and Rick. Uh, you guys have been awesome. And I, you know, what do you want to plug? Like, tell me about your show, Anthony and Rick. Tell me about your website, you know, and, and all that. And, and then, you know, we'll kind of 
we'll kind of just end it where it is because I'm, I'm really, I'm really pleased with how everything turned out. It's, it's been so much fun talking and I just, I can't think of a better way to, to kind of end it. So guys, what do you well, want to plug? Let Anthony go first because I've been talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good idea to go first anyway, because we'll end on the high note with Rick. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So I'll plug, as many listeners know by now, I've been on the show multiple times. I'm going to plug my Christmas podcast. It's a podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. I host it with two co-hosts, Tom and Julia, and we discuss Christmas movies and Christmas television specials and TV episodes all year round. Jerry's basically the fourth co-host now he's been on so much he's trying to <laughs> usurp my role and uh <laughs> and uh yeah you can find us at kissapodcast.com slash facebook facebook group twitter instagram reddit wherever choose your poison <laughs> <laughs> and rick what about you i know you have a lot of cool stuff out there well since i haven't been able to make my convention appearances this year i did start an etsy shop I think is at etsy.com slash shop slash miser bros. <laughs> I think that's the address. And I've been putting things up there. I haven't had a chance to put some more things that I want to get up there because I've been so busy. And, and for some reason, I've been getting a lot more orders, I guess, because people are at home uh, than I usually do on, on the internet. And then uh, Wes's wife got miserbros.com back up so we have all the books there hats and a few other things but i'm almost sold out on, on a lot of this stuff but i am going to keep the books in stock and like i said the frosty book was the last book that we did we didn't have it out before christmas last year so i'm expecting a lot more orders on that before this christmas and uh, my books don't just have, um, you probably know this, they don't just have the subject Frosty in them. They have like all, all the, where are the puppets now? Like if, if we discover or find photographs of the puppets, we put that in the book. So we found the Mortimer Snurd puppet from the pilot uh, Rankin Bass shot that's lost right now. We found the puppet in a museum, so I put that in the Frosty book, and a bunch of Tad Motionaga's puppets and various uh, different Rudolph puppets and so forth. So the books are kind of um, an overall Rankin-Bass view, especially Christmas-related stuff within the confines of Frosty and Santa Claus is coming to town and 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 all of that. So. I like to make the books fun and also cover my appearances because I get to meet a lot of guild celebrities and artists and great people that, that love Rankin Bass. You know, <laughs> a lot of those people know Rankin Bass too. You know, um, you'd be surprised some of the celebrities that, you know, over the years that were in movies and TV grew up with Rankin Bass too. So, you tell them, hey, you know, or here's a book on uh, Rudolph, and they know right away what that is. So it's, it's kind of cool to, to be the kind of the keeper of all that stuff. 
Right on. Well, I, again, I got to say thank you guys so much for coming on. It's been a lot of fun talking with you and learning about all this stuff and really just uh, experiencing the wonder that is Rankin Bass and their Animagic again. And on that note, I'm going to end it by saying, doesn't Santa take a little bit of that unhappiness away? Doesn't a smile on Christmas morning scratch out a tear cried on a Saturday? Not much, maybe. But what would happen if we all tried to be like Santa and learn to give as only he can give of ourselves, our talents, our love, and our hearts? Maybe we could all learn Santa's beautiful lesson, and maybe there would finally be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And maybe you can check us out on our social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're feeling like Rudolph being asked to lead Santa's sleigh on Christmas Eve, leave us a review on iTunes. Not only does it help us reach more people, but you also get a free sticker. Now don't forget to vote. Later, dudes. Jingle, 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 you will hear my sleigh bells ring. I am old Kris Kringle, I'm the king of jingling. Jingle, jingle, reindeer. Instead of, uh, instead of doing a gag me with the spoon, I think, uh, you know, we, we kind of did some of our favorite quotes, but now I'd like to do something I like to call to the max. And in this, <laughs> we're actually going to really do our favorite quotes here. And so normally I let the guests go first, but I'm kind of uh, selfish right now because I love Rankin Bass. And so I'm going to from I'm going to do one first. And this is uh, from <laughs> Rudolph. And it's where they first uh, noticed that his nose is red and it glows. And Donner says his beak blinks like a blinking beacon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I... <laughs> I'm going to piggyback off that one because I have a Donner quote too. That's okay. <laughs> when he creates a nose for Rudolph to try on. And Rudolph is like, I don't want to, Daddy. I don't like it. You'll like it and wear it. Oh, but Daddy, it's not very comfortable. There are more important things than comfort. Self-respect. Santa can't object to you now. <laughs> Man, he's such a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh yeah so there's when Hermie and Rudolph are together Hermie says uh hey what do you say we both be independent together huh you wouldn't mind my red nose not if you don't mind me being a dentist it's a deal <laughs> <laughs> clear Rudolph, Rudolph is terrible. has no idea what a dentist is <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, I'm gonna man. piggyback I'm gonna continue with the bad reindeer and this is Comet and it's and when it's when Rudolph is trying to follow him and all the other reindeer. Oh no, you don't! You'd better go home with your folks. Now I'm gang. We won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games, right? Like what an <laughs> awful teacher! That reminds me of uh, Shiny New Year when uh, Father Time is telling Rudolph about everything, and he says, uh, you know, about how. They're, they're kind of persecuting the baby happy. And he says, I bet they wouldn't even let him play New Year's games. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? What is it? Okay, whatever. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so clever. But <laughs> yeah, there's some good ones. But I kind of want to expand and not just stick with, uh, with Rudolph. And so uh, on that note, I'm going to go with frosty where he says sorry to drip and run but this weather is bad for my health <laughs> drip and run oh man i'd love that I line like, i always love I like that line frost, 
like how Frosty has like an existential crisis when he comes to life and he's like, happy birthday. Hey, I said my first words, but snowmen can't talk. <laughs> All right, come on now. What's the joke? Could I really be alive? <laughs> it's so clever, but it's, you know, yeah, it's definitely funny. <laughs> oh, man, I got one from uh, Thundercats. Ooh. And, and it's Lionel, and I'm going to try my best, but there's no way I can, I can get his voice, but I'm going to try anyway. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. <laughs> I always love that. Oh, I love that line. So good. I just love how over the top the Burgermeister is. <laughs> Stop! In the name of the law, you brats are under arrest. Take them away. And Chris is like, don't, ar- don't arrest those children. It was my fault. I gave them the toys. You? How dare you? You are obviously a nonconformist and a rebel. Me? <laughs> a rebel? Arrest this man immediately. And then he gives him the yo-yo and he's like, for you. Yo-yo? I love yo-yos. I used to be able to do all kinds of tricks. (laughs) (laughs) And then Grimsley reminds him, sir, you're breaking your own laws. What? What are you saying? Oh, I have been bamboozled. Arrest him. Arrest him. (laughs) It's so good. Oh man, it's so good. I let yeah. Let's see. Oh, okay. I got one. Let's do. And uh, I'll let. I tell you what. I'll let you be smog. But let's do um, from the Hobbit, where um, Bilbo the the burglar has just entered and smog wakes up. I'm gonna preface this by saying the voice of smog and the Hobbit. It's not, he just sounds like he's talking in a deep voice. Pretty much, he doesn't, yeah, yeah. he doesn't have the growl like he has in the live-action movies, but... Well, thief, I smell you, I feel your air, and I hear your breath. Come along, help yourself, there's plenty, and to spare. Oh, thank you, Smog the Magnificent. I did not come for wealth. I wish only to have a look at you and see if you are truly as great as tales say. I did not believe them. Do you now? They fall utterly short of reality, King Smog under the mountain. Hmm, you have nice manners. For a thief and a liar. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) That was good, man. You're doing doing awesome with these impressions here. (laughs) oh man okay here's one from heat miser some like it hot but i like it really hot <laughs> oh man what's a snow my uh, hold on i need to look it up i should let you do that because you're the <laughs> you're the angry anthony <laughs> hey i think i don't know how i got stuck with heat miser somehow i always thought it was snow fire snow miser so I like when Snow Miser's talking to Mrs. Claus. So, Mrs. C, how's your hubby? And Mrs. Claus is like, not too good, Snowy. He's got a bad cold. Oh, that's a shame. He should have come to see me. I didn't give it a good one. <laughs> oh, a little chilly humor there. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, man. Oh, let's see. To piggyback off that one, when Heat Miser talks to Mrs. Claus, he's like, 
Well, well, Mrs. Claus, how's your husband doing? Out doing another commercial for my brother? Oh, come now, you know he's not on your brother's payroll. <laughs> on your brother's payroll. Oh, man. Oh, I love the song in Twas the Night Before Christmas. They're come on, so old Chris Kringle, down the Milky Way. And uh, we need you today. today. Oh, so good, yeah. Let's see. Um, that one is so underrated. That's actually our last episode this year. Is it? Proper oh, episode before Christmas, yeah. That's a good one, yeah. I mean, we'll see if Tom and Julia like it. I, I'm hoping they give it a little more grace since it is a traditionally animated one and they seem to like Frosty. So we'll see. I hope so. Yeah. The only thing I don't like about it is Santa's Santa. Beard. Yeah. It's that without the must like Bro. Amish beard thing going on. That's that's the I only think thing a, I really don't like about it. But I think a Christmas story Santa looks better than that one. Oh man, that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, well here's uh between Albert and Father Mouse. Uh, that's it, Father. I'll I'll fix the clock by midnight. Then maybe Santa will you believe in Santa? I don't know. I don't know, but I've learned that I've still got a lot to learn. But son, you don't know how to fix a clock. That's all right, father. Copernicus knew. <laughs> you sound just like him. <laughs> <laughs> I tried my best. I, I really tried. So I'm going to stick with the earth out of Santa Claus. Okay. And Mrs. Santa's asking the miser, would you mind doing us a favor? I don't see why I should. No one does it, ever, ever does anything for me. What is it? Could you let it snow in the south for one day? What? Snow in the south? Just for one day? Never! <laughs> I, I'm not even going to attempt to do anything from Gunzooks. Tom owned Gunzooks. <laughs> Gunzooks was good. Yeah, he had a good, a good Gunzooks. Let's see. Okay, so here's it's Colonel Wellington B. Bunny and his assistant. And uh, Colonel Bunny says, um, Wait. Peter Cottontail, just a moment. Now here's a likely candidate. Well, I really don't think Cottontail's your man, sir. I mean, he is boastful. He has no sense of responsibility. And sometimes, sometimes he fibs. Oh, well, I know he's not perfect, but he's got real spunk and ingenuity. Reminds me of me when I was his age. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to go to Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Ooh, and this good. is after Rudolph breaks the scepter and we find out all of a sudden... Well, Winterbolt gives it away in the quote. No! When my scepter dies, I go to, I turn, I turn into a tree. (laughs) And he turns into a tree, and Lily Lorraine is, what an exit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, that's so good. As I always say, a family that slides together, abides together. Frosty, you never say that. Stick to the script, Dad. <laughs> well, Santa doesn't get here soon. We're going to be sticking to everything. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I remember that one. Oh, man. Wow. We did, we covered that more than a year ago. We like, did. Like a year and a half ago. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Oh, goodness. hat has its own kind of magic. Oh, yeah. And you were like crazy awesome at the <laughs> at the snow genie. The, the genie of the genie. ice scepter. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is so, that one is so trippy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And you have the druggy reindeer scratchers. <laughs> 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 so trippy. 
<laughs> Lily Lorraine. Oh man. Um, okay. So I know I wasn't going to, but I think we got to I think I, I can't break tradition after all. If GI Joe says that knowing is half the battle, what would you say is the other half? No. Uh, what would I say is the other half? Um, you know, having a ranking bass historian in your pocket to talk to you about, about what's going through their minds that they're making these specials. But, <laughs> there you go. but also, uh, if any studio is listening out there and you want to remake these specials well and with heart, give Jerry and myself a call because we yep. clearly have the passion for it. <laughs> for real. Yeah. We'll all, we'll all join on. It'll be fun. So for me, uh, and that's better than mine, for me is uh, if knowing is half the battle, the other half of the battle is animagic. It's true. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Clearly, I, I put a lot of thought into that one. Well, folks, as for the rest of the story, he went down in his story. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. <laughs>